0: Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York Podcast, and remember these words, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Let's jump into the lesson.
1: Well, we are continuing our series on the story of heaven, and I think there are a lot of different little things that are coming out of this series that, I mean, from the The feedback I'm getting from people, they're finding it interesting, and I think that's wonderful. I know I'm finding it interesting. Now, the last time we were together, we looked at a video. How many of you remember everything in the video? Well, okay, I'm not asking you to do a reenactment of the video. But how many of you are very comfortable with knowing what was in the video, so that when we start discussing it, you're gonna know what you saw last week? Okay, now for those of you that said, yep, you get a gold star. For most of us, I've had a lot go on in the last week and it's like I need to see the video again. So for those who are like me maybe who would like to see the video again, we're gonna see it again <laughs> so that we can then discuss it. Is that fair enough? Yes. Okay, great, I think that's a great idea. So we're gonna see, it. it's only like 14 minutes or something, so it's not like it's taking up a lot of your time, but I think it would be to our advantage to be able to look at it and then be able to discuss it, okay? Okay, great. So, whenever, okay, Mr. Williams is working on that. Now, the last time we were together, I left you with a specific question. And that question was, how is the day that a Christian transitions or dies? I like to use the word transitions. How is that really a homecoming or graduation day? What are we graduating from, and what are we graduating to? Remember when I asked you that, and you were supposed to kind of think about that during the week, and I can tell from your faces you really didn't? (laughs) I mean, hey, it's okay. At least we're being real and authentic. so. We will, t- okay good, the video is ready, so turn your attention over to this wonderful TV screen, and we're gonna watch the video with our brother Max Lucado. Golden
2: well, Howie, of one thing we can be certain, He knew his birds would find their way home. Several times a day, the square-bodied, gray-bearded New Zealander retrieved one of his pigeons from his Auckland aviary. In securing the feathered courier with one hand, he attached the correspondence with the other. Some birds carried as many as five messages at a time. Mr. Howey released the bird into the South Pacific sky, and it flew as straight as a string to its nest on Great Barrier Island. Between 1898 and 1908, Mr. Howey delivered thousands of messages this way between Auckland and the Great Barrier Island. His birds were speedy. They could travel in two hours. The distance a boat would traverse in three days. They were dependable. Storms rarely knocked the pigeons off course, and they never called in sick. And most notably, they were accurate. They could find their nest. After all, why else would we call them homing pigeons? Other birds fly faster. Other birds are stronger. Other birds boast larger plumes or stronger claws, but none have the navigational skill of the homing pigeon. Some scientists believe pigeons have traces of magnetite in their beaks and brains that interplay with the magnetic field of the earth. Others credit the bird's sense of hearing. Do they pick up a frequency other birds miss? Or do they sniff out their target with a keen sense of smell? We don't know for sure. But what we do know is this. Pigeons have an innate home detector. So do you. What God gave to pigeons, He also gave to you. No, not bird brains. A guidance system. You were born heaven-equipped with a hunger for your heavenly home. Need proof? Think about the questions we ask. Questions about death and time, significance and relevance. How did we get here? What are we here for? Are we someone's idea or someone's accident? Why on earth are we on this earth? Animals don't ask the questions we do. Dogs howl at the moon, but we stare at it and wonder. We ask questions about pain and why the words leukemia and child often appear in the same sentence. We ask questions about war and why conflict can't go the way of phonograph records, and telegrams. We ask questions about the grave and why the dash between the dates on a tombstone is so small. Something tells us this isn't right, good, fair. Something tells us this isn't home. The Bible states that God has planted eternity in the human heart. And just as Mr. Howey released his pigeons for Auckland, God has released His children from the cage of time. Our privilege is to keep flapping until we spot the island, until we graduate from this life into the next. Those who do so will discover a spiritual cachet, a treasure hidden in a field, a pearl of great value. In God's story of heaven, life on earth is but the beginning. The first letter of the first sentence in the first chapter of the great story, God is writing with your life. As King David discovered, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to His eyes. But what is the text of our lives? The question is not a new one. Self-help gurus, talk show hosts, and magazine headlines urge you to find your narrative, but they send you to the wrong direction. Look inside yourself, they say, but the promise of self-discovery falls short. Can you find the plot of a book in one paragraph or hear the flow of a symphony in one measure? Can you uncover the plot of your life by examining your life? By no means you are so much more than a few days between the womb and the tomb your story indwells God's this is the great promise of the Bible it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone above and around us god directs a grander saga written by his hand orchestrated by his will unveiled according to his calendar and you are a part of it your life emerges from the greatest mind and the kindest heart in the history of the universe the mind and heart of God and he makes everything work out according to his plan you will graduate from this life into heaven the Bible says that Jesus' plan is to gather together in one all things in Christ all things includes you all things includes your body your eyes your hands your blood pumping heart your arm hinging elbow your weight supporting torso God will reunite your body with your soul and create something unlike anything you have ever seen an eternal body what does this mean well, it means you will finally be healthy. You know, you never have been. Even on the days you felt fine, you weren't. You were a sitting duck for disease and infections, airborne bacteria, microbes. And what of you on your worst days? Last Sunday, as I sat in front of our church, my eyes just seemed to radar toward the physically challenged. I saw a recent retiree with a rush of White hair, he, he just found out about a brain tumor. So did a 30ish mother of three. She had sent me a note saying I thought it was a migraine. <laughs> and then there's John, he's in law school and a wheelchair. And I haven't seen Adam in several weeks. He's a Juilliard grad, but multiple sclerosis has silenced his piano keyboard. Doctors are giving another member two months to live. You know, I'm getting to the point where I just hate disease. I'm sick of sickness. So is Christ. Consider his response to the suffering of a deaf mute. He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Iphafta, that is, be opened. Everything about this healing stands out. The way Jesus separates the man from the crowd, the tongue and the ear touching, the presence of the Aramaic in the Greek account. But of all these, isn't it the sigh that we noticed the most? Jesus looked up into heaven, and he just sighed. This is a sigh of sadness, a deep breath, a heavenly glance that resolves. It won't be this way for long, and it won't. Jesus will heal all who seek healing in Him. There are no exceptions to this promise, no nuances, no fine print, no caveats. To say some will be healed beyond the grave by no means diminishes this promise. The truth is this. When he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Let every parent of a Down syndrome or wheelchair-bound child write these words on the bedroom wall. Let the disabled, infected, bedridden, and anemic put themselves to sleep with this promise. We shall be like Him. Let amputees and the atrophied take this promise to heart. We shall be like Him. We shall graduate from this version of life into His likeness. You will have an eternal body. Also, you will have a spiritual body. You see, in your current state, your flesh always battles your spirit. (laughs) Your eyes look where they shouldn't, your taste buds desire the wrong drinks, your heart knows you shouldn't be anxious, but still your mind worries. Can't we relate to Paul's confession? I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Listen, your parts will no longer rebel in heaven. Your new body will be a spiritual body with all members cooperating toward one end. And there's more. In heaven, there will be no more curse. You know, as much as we hate carcinoma and cardiac arrests, don't we hate sin even more? Cystic fibrosis steals our breath, but selfishness and stinginess steal our joy. Diabetes can ruin the system of a body, but deceit and denial and distrust are ruining society. Heaven, however, has scheduled a graduation. Sin will no longer be at war with our flesh. Our eyes won't lust. Our thoughts won't wonder. Our hands won't steal. Our minds won't judge. Our appetites won't rage. And our tongues won't lie. We will be brand new. Some of you indwell such road-weary bodies. Your knees ache, your eyes dim, your skin sags. Others of you exited the womb on an uphill ride. And while I have no easy answers for your struggle, I implore you to see your challenge in the scope of God's story. View these days on earth as but the opening lines of his sweeping saga. Stand with Paul on the promise of, of eternity, He wrote, So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. I prepared this message during the final hours of a two-week vacation. I'd passed the last dozen days with my favorite people, my wife and my daughters. Oh, what fun we'd had. We watched the sun set, the fish jump, the waves crash. We laughed at old stories and made a few new memories. It was a trip for the ages. Somewhere in the beginning of the trip, however, I got searched at airport security. I had to remove my shoes and hand my boarding pass to the official. He told me to step over to the side. I groaned as he waved his wand over my body. Why single me out? I got frustrated. Isn't it enough that we have to plop barefooted through a scanner? Do they think I'm a terrorist? You can tell. (laughs) I, I did not like that moment of airport security, but listen. As I remember that vacation, I won't reflect on its irritating inauguration. It was necessary, but quickly lost in the splendor of vacation. Do you suppose someday we'll say the same words about this life? Well, it was necessary, but quickly lost in the splendor of heaven. I have a hunch we will. We'll see death differently, too. We'll remember the day we died with the same fondness as we remember our graduation day. By the way, if I graduate before you do, you'll see me waiting on you. (laughs) I'll be the one in the stands starting the wave.
1: Max Lucado, he's a a famous author. I mean, he's written some of the most beautiful books. You had what? Oh, okay, well, there were books in the bookstore, there were a few, and I actually did, um, oh, years ago, well, there might still be, there's um, The Glory Days, it was actually a book that we had. Um, around Christmas time I had it, and it actually came with a whole study guide. It was a whole study thing. As a matter of fact, I blessed somebody with it for Christmas and they really, really liked it. Um, He's written a lot of wonderful, wonderful novels, Um, and he's out of San Antonio, Texas, because I think I said last week Boston, but it's San Antonio, Texas. Anyway, um, you can go to any library or Amazon.com or wherever you choose to go. Yeah, but see some of his other stuff is what I'm saying, meaning there's so much that he does. But anyway, now you can better understand the question of when you transition, what are you graduating to and what are you really graduating from? Um, And depending upon how you take what he said, I could already see where some Christians would look at it and go, well, I, we, we you know, have divine health, so we don't have all of these challenges. We're never gonna have challenges. But you might have missed the first point of what he said, which was you're open to them when you're in this earth realm. For instance, um, I don't know how many people know, because I just found this out. When you go to the airport, and you know how they give you those wonderful little bins, you're supposed to put your shoes in, and you have to put your you know, uh, computers and stuff in? they have discovered that they have more viruses and germs in those bins than in a public toilet. So when you stop to think about that, that kind of gives you pause because that means, oh, I am a believer and I stand upon the word, but that's something I have to contend with or deal with and stand against. There's so many things in the earth realm that you have to stand against. That's why when you transition, you are graduating from all of that and then you're graduating into not ever have to, having to deal with it. So it's a very positive thing. And I just wanna make sure that that's clear and nobody just starts sitting there assuming he was saying we're all gonna have sickness and disease, because that's not at all um, what he meant or means or is trying to get across. And having read quite a bit of his work, that's not who he is. So I just want to make that clear just in case somebody was thinking that. Now what I want you to do is turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And we're gonna look at verses 35 through 44. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 35 through 44. And let me know that you're there. Okay, I'm gonna share this with you out of the Message Bible because I think it does the very best. And it says, some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram, draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, soon there is a flourishing plant. Remember, we were talking about that. Like when you take the earthly vessel of clay and you deposit it into the ground when a person transitions, it's like an acorn, which in no way, shape, or form, resembles the beautiful oak tree. That's a result of that, correct? Okay, so there is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that the variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint at the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies not only on earth but in the sky, sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body, but only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, It comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural. The seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. So one promise that God makes is that when this life ends, when we all transition, we will receive a new eternal body. Okay, that's clearly stated. We went over that last week. How will our new spiritual bodies be an upgrade to the ones that we have right now? What do you think? Okay, there will be no sickness, no disease, no poverty. Well, just speaking of the body. Yeah, it should technically not have any body. I know, I mean. I think that's wonderful. I mean, I just look at it like, I think of the weirdest things like, I just see myself at a table (laughs) of nothing but chocolate. The whole table could be chocolate. I could have chocolate cake, chocolate candy. I could have chocolate from Switzerland. I could have it from, I mean, that. And the thing is, I don't even have to be concerned. Like, I'm not going to gain any more from having that. It's not going to affect my body in any way. I mean, I know that there's other things, but that that always, since I was a child, i just like, oh, I could just see that. You know, and then, yeah, you don't have any other things. You know, stuff doesn't drop and droop and, you know, you don't have to be concerned with that. I mean, anyway, I, I can see where it could be good. What is one thing, though, That if you had to pick one thing, okay, we all know my, I mean, I have a a lot of things, but of course the chocolate is one. But what is one thing that really excites you about the new body that you're gonna receive?
2: Speed of light.
1: The speed of light? That excites you? Okay, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. The question, not die anymore. Okay, you'd have to ask him. I don't know. What does the speed of light mean? That's what she was saying. So in other words, you're saying the movement of being able to go as fast as the speed of light. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The question was, what is one thing in particular that excites you about the new body that you will have? No exercise, think about that. You don't have to go exercising and, oh gosh, all of those things. It, well, if we look at it, likens upon the dead seed we planted to what we get. I mean, when you think about, um, I'm trying to think of something we plant that's really, I mean, even, all right, look at it as a caterpillar, which to me is creepy looking. And then they turn into some of the most beautiful butterflies you ever wanted to see. So it's like, I don't want the same. I mean, no, I've always wanted to be nice and petite. I have never been petite since I was born. So I would like that. So I don't want the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, give me something totally different. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, for those people who don't have hair, maybe they'll have hair. And for those people who feel like they've always been burdened with hair, maybe they don't. I mean, I don't know. But Well, I mean, we won't have drooping. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny, you you just have no idea some of the things I think about. Because, you know, I mean, you look at somebody, male or female, this I can honestly say, because gravity does not care about the gender, okay? They always make the women think about it, but men, it's real. So the point is, you know, when you see somebody in their 20 or 25, and you see somebody in their 60 and 65, they could be the exact same weight on the scale, but their body is different because gravity has a whole different law going on. And things that once were nice and perky are now looking at the floor. It just happens that way. I mean, it's real. So, I'm just saying we probably don't we don't have to contend with all of that. I, I think I could be very good. Yes. Now I'm probably
0: we don't know exactly what we thought mm-hmm. But do you
1: think and I don't think the Bible have, have never anyone makes that. Do you think we'll be the same age as which we have died? I don't think so. Here's why I don't think so. God is not bound by time. He only puts time out there for us, really. And to give you an example, that's why the days are going so quickly now for us as believers. Has anybody noticed it seems like, okay, we're already in the third quarter, you hear me talk about that, and we gotta get ready for Christmas, which is right around the corner. And to be very frank, I'm just getting used to writing 2018. It's like it was just yesterday that it became 2018 and the ball dropped. Things are going so quickly. He's doing that for us because so much stuff is going on. It, it, it allows us to be able to endure it. But I don't believe that, no, I don't believe that somebody who is 95 is going to end up you know, with some 95-year-old body and come back at 95. No, I think we are not going to be bound by any type of time. So then, what's the challenge Are we expecting to? See, that's the beauty and the mystery of it. We don't know. That's what's, what's, it's so exciting. We don't know. (laughs) I mean, we'll all know at some point when that Trump sounds, but we really don't know. That's one of those secret things that, you know, we have no idea. I mean, you know, we could come out and we could all look like 12 year olds, even though I don't think that's true either. I don't think there's gonna be something that distinguishes an age. I think we're going to be ageless, however that is in God's mind. I mean, and you gotta think about that. I mean, you know, because God has quite an imagination because all of us look different. I mean, you know, he gave everybody different we're totally different looking. Now just a little tag on that. Now what we were created mm-hmm. in this image, As we all see, eyes just bottom by things all right. We have the left Now what is the imperfect part of us? What is the imperfect part of us? Well, it depends on how you look at I mean, I can see a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, for me. Um, look. What's imperfect about our physical look What do you mean? Do you mean like would we all of a sudden have one eye or three eyes or something? No, no, no. I'm saying God made us in his image. In his image. Which is what
2: we see. No, no. No. God is a spirit.
1: That is what's made in his image. But when he created man, he created man as we see ourselves. Yeah, but you gotta understand something. When you see me, you're seeing my house. You're not seeing me. We're getting a new body, which if you wanna say it's, well, no, in a way, because here's the point. When we are depositing the, the body, the dead flesh, in the ground, when it comes back, it's not coming back as this physical flesh that you're thinking of, it's coming back as a glorified body. The spirit is what you're then really going to see. So it's almost like, Um, you'll see me clearly then, because you will see my spirit man. Right now you don't really see me, you just see this body that I happen to be in. Just like I see you, you know, like you, when you come back in your glorified body, you may not wear the beautiful earrings I always compliment you on. You might not even have earrings, you know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying, we don't know what we're going to look like. We honestly, no one can tell you that, because it's not in scripture anywhere of what we're going to look like so we don't know. I mean, we don't know if we're going to have ears, eyes, no. You know, we might not have any of that. We could come back and look like some other species totally that we've never even seen before. There's no nothing telling us other than that. I mean, hey, I don't mind. <laughs> I personally don't mind. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, it's not saying he's not, it's not good, it's, it's, it's okay. That's why Max Lucado referred to it as a graduation too. It's like, if I were to give you, oh gosh, let me think. If I were to give you a Cadillac, brand new, off the showroom floor, every option that Cadillac makes. Nice car, it's always been known as a nice car all these years, okay? But then I say to you, well, you know, it is nice and it is really nice, but you could go downtown and you could get a Bentley, okay, with all of the options. I kind of think you would like the Bentley better because it's an upgrade, it's a better vehicle, it's different. Okay, it's, or I could do the same thing and say go get a Rolls Royce, which by the way, they don't even call just an automobile, they call it a motor car because it's, it's something that is just that much better. So what we're going to receive is so much better than anything that we've ever had here. So I don't believe that it's saying that what God has given us here is not good, but good, better, best. What we will receive is his best not just is good. Make sense?
0: Yes. So we've always been
1: told that, like he said, when you see me, when I see you in heaven, so it's going to have to be some kind of similar see you that I will know who you are. I mean, I would assume that. Again, we're talking about things we don't have a full answer to. I mean, I do believe I'm going to see my parents, okay? Um, As much as I love my parents, I'm looking forward to seeing my savior and seeing God even before them. Um, But I'm sure at some point I'll know who they are because God created all of us. So I'm sure he's gonna put some knower or something there that we're gonna know who they are. You know what I mean? That We're gonna know everybody, we'll know them. because it says that, but I I don't, as far as saying what we're really gonna physically look like, I have no idea. And we can't even look at nature and know that because if we looked at a caterpillar, our natural minds would not think that it was going to turn into something as beautiful as a butterfly, and then all butterflies are not created equal either. They're different species of butterflies. So, and it's the same thing with people. I mean, you can see, you can go like, one place that's very interesting to me is if you go to Australia, there are little islands off of Australia where you will see a person who has a complexion that is the deepest, darkest color that we know for mankind and they will have crystal blue eyes, okay? So, I mean, God created that person, so he clearly has a a different approach and an interesting way of creating people. I know that every time I look in the mirror, it's very interesting to me. So I'm like, okay, he had a sense of humor. I'm just saying, I don't know. I just know that we can look forward to it because all of the challenges that we face here in this earth realm, we don't have to deal with. So it's like, I don't really care what I look like if I don't have to deal with half of this stuff. You know what I mean? I don't have to deal with any of that? Fine. You know, we are truly graduating to something far greater than ourselves and greater than anything we've known so far and can comprehend. So I think that that's pretty good. Would you agree with that? Yes. That's true, that's a whole nother study. (laughs) Because when God created Adam, if you really start researching it deeply, that particular creature was called Adam, who was actually male and female combined. When he decided to give Adam someone to fellowship with, and then created Eve, that's when that separation came of male and female. That is why a man is never greater than a woman, and a woman is never greater than a man. And that is why when the two of them come together, they make a perfect, perfect one union. And that's why when you come together in a married relationship, what does it say, you become one flesh because that's really how you originated to begin with. That is interesting, we should do something on that, but whatever, so yeah, I mean, I, I get your point, that's true, you know, so, I, and I understand what Miss Karen was saying, that sin entered into the world and that, of course, changed everything. Because if sin didn't enter into the world, if Satan was not the god of this world, we could go to the airport and we wouldn't have to think that there are going to be germs in those bins. We wouldn't have to be concerned when we sit on the buses or the trains or any kind of mass transit that there's all kinds of stuff that's around us that we have to exercise our faith not to have it attack us. Okay? All of those things are true. I mean, even if you go into the hospital, it's one of the germiest places in the world. So if you go to visit the sick, you have to pray for your physical body even before you go in to pray for somebody else so that none of that stuff even attaches itself to you. We won't have to deal with all that later on, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We call those things that be not as though they were, but they do exist, and that's what we're kind of contending with as we live here. Make sense? Turn with me now to Mark's Gospel. And we're gonna look at the seventh chapter, verses 31 through 35. Mark's Gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 31 through 35. And if we look at it in the New King James Version, it says again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Dakar. Decapolis, I might be saying that long, but I think you get the drift. Okay, good, very good. To the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be open. This is the same thing we just saw in the video. Immediately, his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Now, Jesus did a lot of healing while he was on this earth, and we know that. I mean, you can go through a lot of scripture. And as you look at this particular account, and others recorded in the four Gospels, because that's mostly where you're going to find them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you learn about how Jesus healed? Okay, but he usually still had a method. What was that method? And what do you learn about why he healed people? He spoke. Yes, he usually would speak. He usually required that they exercise some faith, yes? To ask,
0: do you
1: right, he would, which is, what is their belief system? In other words, do you believe in what is about to happen or do you believe in God? Yeah, so do you believe I'm the son of God? That's true. Anybody else? He
2: laid, hands.
1: he laid hands on people. That's true. Yes. Okay. He did what he saw his father do in heaven. Okay, now did they have people in heaven that were sick? Okay, say that again and say it a little bit louder because I really didn't hear you. Mhm. So he used the power that he had as the son of God to heal people while he was on the earth. Okay. So when he tells us as his followers that we're going to do even greater works than he did, how are we able to do that? It's our faith that allows us to do it. Okay, and you're saying what allows us to do it? Quantity? Quantity of what? So you're saying that when he says we'll do greater works than he did, you're equating that to the quantity of people we're able to reach because there are more believers in the earth. I'm asking, I'm trying to make sure I understand this. Okay. Okay. I understand your point. I don't agree with it though, but that doesn't matter. But okay, that's fine. Um, We have the power of the entire Godhead within us when we are born again. We have, because he sent, the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, strengthener, standby, and the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead is to accomplish what God wants to have done in the earth realm. So I guess coupling it with what you said, I believe that that is what gives us the ability along with our faith, because we can't do anything without faith, that's what gives us the ability to do greater works than what Jesus did when he was in the earth realm, simply because he left that and empowered us with the ability to do it. Would you agree with that? I say that, I agree with Okay, all right. I wasn't trying to be out. No, 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 I, I'm not saying that you would. I just don't want people to think, I don't want them to discount that portion of it based upon we're gonna do greater works based upon quantity because I don't think in essence that's what's really meant in that scripture. I don't think it means quantity. I don't think it means that um, I'm gonna go into the market and I'm gonna get $5,000 worth of groceries because all of us here are gonna go to Bible study and fill up the baskets and that's how we're gonna get it. I would like to think that it would mean that I can do that because the Heavenly Father has provided me the means to be able to do that and I could just go there and do it by myself at my will when I choose. And it's sort of like if you look at it differently, it changes the essence of the meaning and that's what I didn't want. In other words, just like when we think about how he fed all of the thousands of people with the barley loaves and the two little fishes, but he had fragments left over even afterwards. If we just look at it like we, we take the power of God out of that portion of it or the anointing out of that and just kind of look at the numbers, it changes it a little bit. So that's all. So I'm just, if anything, adding to what you're saying, but clarifying. Okay, good. All right, so then we're on the same page. Um, Now, we know that when this life ends, we already get that and we graduate as we're calling it when we transition, we'll receive new bodies, we talked about all that. Until then, the Bible tells us that we should do what? We can and we should pray for healing for those who are sick and face physical struggles because physical struggles, you can be the most wonderful Christian, and truly love God and have lived a life of of Christianity, serving him and everything, and your body still may be attacked. It does not mean that you are horrible or that you've done anything wrong, but it is a possibility that that is something that you have to stand against. And you may, or we collectively may even know people who are going through a challenge like that. What are we really doing about it? Turn with me to James the book of James, we're gonna look at James five, and we're gonna look at verses 13 through 18. James five, verses 13 through 18. I'm gonna share it out of the message. And it says, are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you sin, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. Now, if you look at this in the Amplified Bible, if we look at verse 16, it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another, that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God, is dynamic and can have tremendous power. I like how the Amplified explained when we're confessing our sins to one another, it's your false steps, your offenses. In other words, it's very similar to what we do when we have communion. We make sure that if we need to forgive someone, we make sure we do that, okay? It's not that you are supposed to go run to the pastor, the elders, the preacher, whatever, or your brother and sister and start running down a confession of your sin. No, that you do directly with the Most High God. That's who is judging you. That's what you've got to make straight, not running to them because some people teach that. Some churches still teach that. You need to come to the pastor, you know that's something that they used to teach. There's still a lot of denominations who teach if a girl gets pregnant out of wedlock, she's to go before the whole church and ask their forgiveness. and no, uh, this still goes on, okay? Um, but that's not what this scripture is talking about. It's not saying that. You go to God, you make things right with him. okay? so anyway, with that said, Are you remembering, and this is a rhetorical question, so you don't have to really answer me, but are you remembering to pray for your brothers and sisters who are going through a physical attack? Make that something that you jot down in your journals or put it in the corner of your Bible, do that you will be blessed for doing it. Because guess what? You definitely reap what you sow. And the day may come where you may have a physical attack yourself and it will be such a blessing that someone does the same for you and calls you. You know, it's sort of like, I know we're all busy. We all have so much to do, we do but it's really, really precious when you can take, even if it's just one day a week, and you just make one phone call a week, and you just call on somebody. And and, and really, to me, they don't even necessarily have to be struggling with something physically. Just sit and ask the Lord, who should I call? and he will put somebody in your spirit. You call that person and just say, how are you doing? Is there something you need me to be in agreement with you about? You will be amazed how much your life is enriched as a result and how much their lives are also enriched because that's what we're supposed to do. That's part of us doing what? Loving one another, amen? Okay, well, there are a few other things that we want to go over, but I thank you because I think we really How can I put it? Iron always sharpens iron. And I think by everyone talking about things and contributing, I always appreciate that. I think that's a wonderful thing. So I thank you very much for doing that. And I think that that's what we did. So praise the Lord. So with that, we will come back next week and hopefully we will get into the third and final video as we're starting to wind down and wrap this thing up And we're gonna start by next week for sure talking about the end of time. Because we already know that God wins. And the good news is that we are on his side. So guess what? We win too. And that is fantastic. That is one of my mottos that I share with my daughter every day. Our team wins. It's a wonderful
0: thing. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323.